Well, here's what's going on in the story for those of you guys who haven't been with us. We are looking at John 16, and this is the time period right before Jesus' death. He's about to be crucified, and he knows it. Think of the pressure. Think of that amazing, horrendous pressure to know you're going to die, to know how you're going to die in one of the worst ways humanly possible, death on a Roman cross through broken bones and suffocation. Jesus knows this is coming up, and he's trying to get his disciples ready for it. He's trying to tell them, guys, this is happening. It's going to be intense, and these are my words to you, my final messages to you to strengthen you and help you. So look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Jesus says this to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. This is what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that when times get tough, we stumble. When you go through hard things in your life, and I know many of you may be going through difficult things in your life, that's when the enemy looks at you and says, you're a target. I'm going to kick you while you're down. I'm going to trip you up. Usually in my life, it's the times where I'm going through something difficult that I am the most open to temptation. It's it's way easier for me to give in to sin. It's way easier for me to give in to doubt and discouragement and depression. And so Jesus is saying these words knowing, guys, this is a tough time. You need words of hope because the enemy is telling you lies. Look at verse 2. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue Yeah, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God's service. This is intense. This is the extreme cost of following Jesus. This is an extreme cost. He's talking about them being kicked out of their communities. He says you'll be kicked out of the synagogue. Now, for some of you guys here, it's not like Jesus is just saying, yeah, if you follow me, they're going to kick you out of church. Some of you guys would be like, that sounds great. I don't want to be here right now. It was really hot last time. You can rejoice because the air conditioning is fixed. So I know it got intense a couple weeks ago. Hopefully we should be okay today. You need to understand though, when he's talking about getting kicked out of the synagogue for the disciples, for Jewish men, this is intense. Like this, the synagogue was everything to them. For a Jewish man, Their whole life centered around their belief in God, Yahweh, and their faith. So to be kicked out of the synagogue, to be kicked out of church, there was so much shame that went with that. You were labeled a sinner. It'd be like if you guys were here today, and I pointed at one of you guys, had you stand up, and I started listing all of your sins, and I was like, this guy's a sinner, now get out of our sight, and everyone laughed at you, and you walked away. Like, imagine that. That's what the disciples are facing, getting kicked out of their community. It was worse than a social media kick. It's worse than being blocked on social media. It's worse than Pokemon Go saying you can't catch Pokemon anymore. It's worse than that. It it, it would be like getting expelled from your school in front of the entire school. That's, That's what's going on here. He says there's a time coming where when people kill you, they're gonna think they're doing God's work. That sounds really familiar to me. I was reading that and I was like, Now, who do we have today who goes around killing people and they think they're doing God's work? Anybody? ISIS, yeah, terrorist groups. They're going around killing people. I've I've seen videos and, and seen articles and posts of just Christians getting their heads chopped off. And these people aren't just doing it for fun. ISIS isn't just chopping off people's heads for fun. They actually think they're doing the will of God. They have a twisted, perverted view of who God is And so they're doing what they think is right, even though it's wrong. Jesus is preparing his disciples. He looked into the future. He saw ISIS, and he also saw what was going on right then and there. He said, guys, the religious leaders are going to gather you up. They're going to throw you to lions. They're going to chop off your heads. I don't know if you guys know, but the 12 disciples who followed Jesus, those guys were killed in horrific ways. One of them was boiled in a pot of hot water. One of them had his skin sliced off, slice by slice. One of them had his toes tied to a chariot, and the horse dragged his body through the streets until he was just dragged to death. Jesus knows the hard road that these guys are facing, and he says there's going to be a time when people will kill you and think that they're doing God's will. This is their reality. And we even look into the book of Acts, if you guys have read the book of Acts after the Gospels, and we see that Saul, who becomes Paul later, is one of the chief killers of Christians at the time, going around and throwing them to the lions. 
So Jesus knows. He knows times are tough. Maybe you're facing tough times right now. This message needs to be for you a message of hope, a wake-up call that Jesus is with you in your trials. The king is with you, and he's got words for you that are extremely important this morning. Look at verse 3. He says, and these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father or me. It's tragic. Guys, all evil, all sin can be traced to this. The problem of not knowing God. The problem of not truly knowing God. And even for us Christians, when we sin, our sin, the root can be traced to us having a bad understanding of God. We think of him as just our get out of hell free card. The guy in the sky who has a list of rules. God knows that the reason we sin comes fundamentally from a broken relationship that we have with God. Us not truly understanding his heart, who he is. It's the problem Jesus longs to fix throughout all of history. If you were with us on Wednesday, we talked about God and his character and how we can see from Genesis till Revelation till now, throughout the scope of history, God has always been just. Yes, God is causes violence against sin. Yes, God punishes sinners, but he has also always been merciful. From the very beginning, from the very first sinners, he has said, I'm not willing to just let sinners die. Throughout history, I will love them and try to rescue them and try to win them. And God looks at you, and anytime you have in your heart a misunderstanding of who God is, anytime maybe you come to church and you hear about God, but you don't truly know him, you're not truly experiencing a relationship with him, that is a problem that Jesus longs to fix. You need to know, if you're here right now, even after camp, and you're just struggling with your actual relationship with God, God doesn't look at you and say, come on, get it together. He says, no. Your brokenness is what I long to fix. And I think maybe even this morning, God wants to fix some things in your heart if you're willing to let him. The lack of knowing our king leads to sin. And there's no greater privilege that we have than to know and study God and to experience him. That's why I love coming together on these mornings, to study and experience God through knowing him through what he wrote to us. Look at verse four. He says this, these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you, re- you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Has, who's ever seen a zombie apocalypse movie? Anybody? Yeah? I love them. They're great. I remember the first one I saw, um, not the first one, but the first recent one that I saw was World War Z. Anyone see that? Yeah? Remember the scene where like, they're, like, they're like running up the wall of Jerusalem? That was... So scary. Like, I was literally, like, gripping my chair, like, what's going to happen to Brad Pitt and his neck scarf? (laughs) I don't know. He had that neck scarf on the entire movie. It was insane. Like, I don't understand how you're that hipster to have a neck scarf on during a zombie apocalypse. But anyway, in these movies, there's always a moment where the hero finds out the zombies are coming, and there's, like, this montage scene of, like, preparation. Usually it involves, like, duct tape and, like, going to, like, some shop that's been shot up and grabbing some guns, grabbing some medicine. You know what I'm talking about? There's always that scene, whether it's The Walking Dead or whether it's a movie about zombies where, like, the heroes go and they stock up on what they need to survive the apocalypse. Well, in this time, as sirens are blaring and... I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> In this time, what's happening is Jesus is saying, hey, stock up on my words. Stock up on some truth. If you're here today, these words ring true, whether you're during the time of Jesus or you're right now. Jesus is saying tough times are ahead in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, tough times are ahead. You're either in tough times right now or tough times are ahead, so stock up on truth. And we are the disciples. We are called to look at the words of Jesus and say, these are the words of life. I value these words. Whatever you say, Jesus, I want to know you better. You know, I've heard a ton of messages. Who here has heard a ton of Bible studies? Yeah? Yeah, I have. Okay, who here wants to admit that after a while, they all start to kind of blend together? Anybody? Yeah, Totally. I get that. If you think that I expect you to leave here today memorizing every single thing I've told you, that is so unrealistic. I sit in the sanctuary and I walk away going, okay, wait, what were the main points? Like, I'm here with you. I get that. Um, There was this guy who um, wrote this article in the paper and he was making fun of Bible studies. And he basically said, um, it was a little advice column and he wrote in and he was like, you know what? 
Um, I don't need Bible studies. No one really needs Bible studies. They don't really do anything for us because really we hear a million Bible studies, but we don't really remember any of them. So what's the point? We, we don't need Bible studies. It's, it's pointless. I'm just going to stop going to church. Well, there was this other guy who was a Christian who read that article in the paper, and he sent in his own article as a response, and he said, yeah, I read that article by that guy who said we don't need to go to church and Bible studies are worthless because we don't remember them. I, I think he's right. You know, I, I think also food. Let's talk about food. You know, my wife has made me probably about a million meals in my lifetime. I don't really remember any of them, so let's just stop eating. I don't need to eat. I don't need to, if I don't remember the meals, then what's the point of eating? And I think it's, it's brilliant for me to understand that, that truth that even though maybe necessarily we don't remember every single study we've ever heard, it's the bread of life going into us. Week after week, God is filling us with his truth. And even if you can't walk away remembering what my three points were, God is depositing truth into your hearts. I didn't always remember every single study I've ever heard growing up, but I know that God has used every single one in my life, and he wants to speak to you today and deposit that truth. So let's look at verse five. Jesus says to the disciples, now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? You know, I almost missed this verse. Read it again. Jesus says, Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Like, that's the kind of verse I feel like when you read, you kind of just shoot right by. You know what I mean? You read, and you're like, okay, Jesus said a thing. I don't really know what the application is. Moving on. And I was reading and praying, and the Lord just brought me to just this idea of, like, the humanity of Jesus. Like, this is is a verse, verse 5, we see Jesus' humanity coming through. Have you ever been hurt by a friend who doesn't seem to care about you? Have, you? have you ever been telling a friend something that you're going through and you're sitting there pouring out your heart and they're just like, yeah, sweet. And then they start talking about what they want to eat for lunch. Has that ever happened to you? Like, I think that's what Jesus is going through. He's like telling his friends all of these things that are going on. And none of them are like, Lord, what's going to happen to you? Where are you going? Like, what? Are you going to die? Like, I don't, like, Lord, we're so concerned for you. They're kind of just freaking out about Jesus talking about how they're going to face difficulties. I think we see the humanity of Jesus. He, he knows what's coming up. Jesus knows that within, in, within hours, not days, not weeks, even though we're going through the Gospel of John very slowly and we're just soaking up every little piece, so it might be a couple weeks until we get to this scene, but in real time, like in real time in this story, within hours, Jesus will be in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood because he's so stressed out knowing that he's going to have to face the cross. That's what Jesus is facing. And so we see the humanity of Jesus. He's like, none of you guys are even asking where I'm going or what's going to happen to me. And you know, this reminded me of something. Our apathy can hurt Jesus. Our lack of caring. That's what apathy is. When we just don't care, when we don't care about what hurts God's heart, when we sin and we don't care that it breaks God's heart, we just say, you know what, it's fine. He'll forgive me. I'm going to heaven anyway. Who cares? That lack of caring, the lack of caring to check in with God on a regular basis throughout the week, not just at camp, but during your week, to keep the fire going and to say, God, what do you have for me? What do you want to show me? What is your heart for me? That lack of caring that a lot of times we display, it can hurt God's heart. And I don't want to hurt God's heart. Look at verse 6. He says, Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You know, as much as we see Jesus' humanity, we also see, like, his divine compassion and greatness. Like, who else can love people the way Jesus does in his darkest hour? Like, if it were me, if I knew in five hours... I was gonna die a horrible death, I would not be up here talking to you. (laughs) I'd be like, I'd be freaking out, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be like in the fetal position in the corner. Like if I knew that like I was gonna, trying to think of like the worst death besides crucifixion. You guys seen Toy Story 3, where like they're sliding towards that fiery inferno and the trash compactor, who cried in that scene? Anybody? I did. I was like weeping. I was like, Buzz and Woody, what's gonna happen to Buzz and Woody? Like I was, I was freaking, seriously, I was freaking out. So if I was sliding down a trash compactor into a fiery furnace, like I would be weeping and crying. 
Yet Jesus cares about his disciples. He says, guys, I know that my words are filling your heart with sorrow. He says, verse six, because I've said these things, the sorrow has filled your heart. Think back to the boat. Think back to that storm. Remember that, remember that story? Jesus is on the boat. He's on this boat. If you haven't heard the story, it's a great story. Jesus is on a boat with his 12 disciples hanging out when a storm hits. And it's a crazy storm. They're in this little boat and the waves are rocking them back and forth and up and down, lightning and thunder and rain and giant waves. And the disciples are like, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, just like you would probably be if you're in this tiny little boat. And Jesus is sleeping. He's just chilling on a pillow. He's just sleeping. And they come to him and they're like, don't you care? Don't you see we're gonna die? And Jesus is just like, guys, I'm with you with the king, the king is with you. And he stands up and he says to the wind and the waves, hey, chill out, peace be still, you waves. And the waves just whoosh. And I wonder if Jesus is hoping in that moment that they remember, even though this crazy storm is raging all around them, I wonder if he's like, do you remember the storm? I mean, this storm is definitely a little bit more scary Wind and waves is one thing, but knowing that people will be coming after you trying to kill you, knowing that you're going to be rejected and ostracized from your community, knowing that the guy that you've given your life to for three years is about to be crucified, yes, it's an intense storm, but Jesus knows that he can handle it. And Jesus says something. He says, he says in verse seven, look at verse seven, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. How, cra- how crazy is that? He's saying, like, is that what you want to hear if you're a disciple in that moment? Jesus says, hey, guys, actually, it's better this way. It's better that I leave. How insane does that sound? It is to your advantage that I go away, verse 7, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying, guys, I'm going to leave I'm gonna die, go back to heaven, but you know what? Just because I can't physically be here with you doesn't mean that you're out of hope because someone even better for you right now is coming, and that is the helper. Who's the helper? What's his name, anybody? Holy Spirit, yes. The helper is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is coming and it's better this way. Better together. You're better together with the Holy Spirit. That's my main message for you here this morning. You, as a Christian, are better together with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, you know, in my human form, I can be killed. I can be taken away to prison. But the Holy Spirit cannot be killed. The Holy Spirit cannot fit behind bars. And the Holy Spirit is not limited to one place. The Holy Spirit travels with us. If you guys don't know... You have the Holy Spirit in your heart. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with you. The whole camp theme that we did, the king is with you, with the king, that is seen through the Holy Spirit. That is how you know Jesus Christ is with you. Let's be honest, though. When we think of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who do we think of the most? Anybody? Who do you think of the most? Jesus. He's like number one. Like when you think of the Trinity, like Jesus is like right up, because you know, he died on the cross for you. He's awesome. Like he, he's your best friend. He's, he's your boy. And then you've got, who's the second one you think of mostly? God, yeah. It's usually like you think of Jesus first God and then like the Holy Spirit, I guess he has something to do. A lot of times I feel like we think of the Holy Spirit as like discount Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, oh, like, like how many of you guys have ever thought this? Like, oh, I know I have the spirit, but like if Jesus were just like in my room right now with me talking to me, that would be so much better. Has anyone been there? I've, I've been there. I've been like, man, like if he was really here, did you just catch that? If he was really here, it's almost like when we deal with the Holy Spirit, it's like we, we think Jesus isn't really here. And it's like kind of like a fairy tale, like, oh yeah, there's a Holy Spirit. And it's like kind of this like happy-go-lucky, like good, you know, just think positive Jesus thoughts and the Spirit will be with you. No, Jesus is saying, listen guys, the Spirit is here and it's better this way. You are better to have the Spirit than to have me physically with you. To have the Spirit of the living God. The Hebrew word for Spirit is, anyone know? Ruach. Say it and like do like the ruach. Ah, 
It means breath of God. In the Bible, when it talks about, uh, in Genesis, the world being made, it says the ruach, the spirit of God hovered over the waters. When the world was made, the Holy Spirit was there. It's, just, it's incredible to think that we can carry the spirit of the living God in our hearts. I wanna show you guys a video that to me just perfectly demonstrates the power of the spirit. Jesus' very last act on earth is also one of his most puzzling. He ascends into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. On the surface, the ascension appears to show Christ leaving our world. But if we see the ascension resulting in less of Jesus' presence instead of more, then we are missing out on a powerful truth about the ascended Jesus. When Jesus encounters Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, she throws her arms around him. She had lost him once, and she would never lose him again. But Jesus says to her, Don't hold on to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. One could assume that Jesus is saying this because his resurrected body is sacred, but later Jesus invites Thomas to touch his wounds, so that can't be the case. Jesus knew the fear that Mary felt, thinking she had lost him forever. So through his reply, Jesus is saying, if you let go, if you let me ascend, you'll have access to an even stronger relationship with me. Mary, the way I am right now, there's a chance you could lose me. But if I ascend to the Father, you will have me forever and nothing will ever be able to take me away from you. His presence would come through the Holy Spirit, who is not merely a force, but a person who would come in his place. Jesus said, unless I go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ to us. This is why Jesus said that through the Holy Spirit, he would finally show himself to his disciples. The implication is that the disciples did not and could not truly know Jesus until he went away bodily and returned through the Holy Spirit, which is encouraging for us to see because you might be under the impression that if only you could have lived and walked with Jesus, that you would know him better than you do now. But you'd be wrong. Before Jesus died, the Holy Spirit had not been released into the world in this powerful way. And you can only know Jesus fully through the Spirit's influence as he shows you in the shadow of the cross how high and long and wide and deep his love is for us. In other words, through the Holy Spirit, you can see Christ and know his presence and his love better than the apostles on the night of the Lord's Supper. So the inevitable question is, are you living like this is true? Are you living like Christ is more accessible now than he was when he walked the earth? Jesus has made his intentions clear. He left heaven and all of his glory for your sake. And through his ascension, he has made himself infinitely available to you. Christ has drawn near to you. So draw near to him. So good. Love it. Yeah, you can clap for that. It's great. It's great. Guys, we have so much access to Jesus through the Spirit. Are you with me? Are you, are you getting this? This is helping. We have so much access to him. We are better together with the Spirit. Guys, we have more access to God than Moses did. Think about that. He's the guy who went up and like on Mount Sinai, he's there with the Ten Commandments. We have the Spirit of the living God, the Ruach, the breath of God living in our hearts. It's incredible. But so many of you, I feel the Lord wants me to say today, you want to do it on your own. You're struggling. Maybe you want to do some of it with the Spirit, but there's a lot of areas of your life you want to just do on your own. You know, 
I used to play video games with Luke Bernacki. I would babysit Luke Bernacki. Um, you guys know Luke was up at a count, uh, he was a counselor at camp. I used to be his babysitter. And I used to try to explain to little Luke how to play the games, how to press in the buttons, how to do the combinations, and he just wouldn't listen. And I didn't want to play against somebody who was just going to press the A button over and over again and have their guy just punch, punch, punch. I wanted to challenge. So what I did was I unplugged Luke's controller and I slipped it underneath the system so it looked like the wire was going in. And then I just play against the computer and he thought he was doing really good when really he wasn't playing. And anytime he won, he would look at me and say, I beat, I beat. And I was like, cool, dude, you beat, awesome. We don't want to do that. We don't want to live our lives where because we don't want to listen to the instruction of the spirit, we just unplug. Guys, we can't do life without him and he is unwilling to do life without us. Think about that. We can't do life without God, and God was unwilling to do life without us. That's why he sent his son to the cross. He could have done life without us. He could have said, I don't need you humans. He doesn't need us. And yet he was unwilling to go on without us. That should show us how much we, like who are we to think that we could do life without him? Verse eight, we're gonna talk about things that the Holy Spirit does. Verse eight says, when he has come, He, not it, it's not a force, the Holy Spirit is a person. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Right there, we see one of the main things the Holy Spirit does, and that's conviction. No wonder people want to do it alone. Raise your hand if you like conviction. Anybody? Okay, a few people. I personally don't. It's not fun when you're convicted. It's not fun when someone comes to you and says, hey, like the Lord told me like you're in sin. Like that is not fun. If you think that's fun, you're, you're a freak. Like it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's hard. Who here has a hard time with being called out on their stuff? Anybody? Yeah, I do. Like we wanna think that we're okay. We wanna think that we're good people. We don't want conviction. No one likes conviction. And what I've seen just in, 12 years of doing youth ministry is what we have today is a generation, and I'm part of it, a generation that runs from convictions, a generation where we're told to embrace anything and anyone that tells you what you want to hear. Don't be around the people who will keep you accountable. Run away from accountability. Run, find any way that you can to avoid owning up to your decisions. That's why we have so many apps nowadays that make it so easy for us to keep everything secret and hidden. But we need conviction. We need conviction. I'll give you an example of why we need conviction. Recently, I did a stupid thing. My wife wasn't home, and I was just like, sweet, I'm gonna party and make marshmallows with a uh, blowtorch and make s'mores. And that was great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, was, I had some s'mores. I had the graham cracker and the marshmallow and the chocolate stuffed in the marshmallow. And I had a little blowtorch. And I was heating that thing up. It was so good. But then I got a dumb idea. I was like, I wonder if I heated up sugar, what would happen? So I got a little spoon, and I put sugar in it. And I blowtorched it. The sugar liquefied. Well, then my thought was, I should eat that. <laughs> No, I'm dead serious. Like, you're like, how are you in a functioning 27-year-old adult? I don't know. Now, thank the Lord I didn't put it in my mouth. But I was like, well, okay, I was going to put it in my mouth, and I would have had to probably go to the hospital if I did. But I, I had a better idea. I was like, you know what? Uh, before I put that in my mouth, I should probably touch it and make sure it's not too hot. It was definitely too hot. I touched it. Literally, I got like a fourth-degree burn. Is that a thing? Aaron, you're a fireman, kind of. It's not a thing. I got, I got a huge burn. It ripped off my skin. It was gnarly. And you know what? My body in that moment with pain convicted me that what I was doing was wrong. It was conviction. Like my body was convincing me through the pain in my finger that lasted three weeks of just like burning pain in my finger. And I never put a band-aid on it because I'm ridiculous. I just let it just open wound. It was terrible. It was terrible. My body was convicting me that, hey, you're a dummy. What you're doing is wrong. We need conviction. And you know, at camp, we talked a lot about how God loves us. I was realizing that. I went and I listened through to all the studies, and I was going back through it, and I was like, man, this camp was a very positive camp. It was just a lot about God's love and how he's with us and how we need to do things with him. And, but, you know, we also need to talk about sin. There's another side to that coin. 
And so sin is one of the main ways the Holy Spirit convicts. Look at verse 9. Jesus is talking about, he's going to be talking about three ways that the Spirit convicts, and the first is sin. He says, the Spirit convicts of sin because they do not believe in me. Now, no one really likes to talk about sin unless they're talking about it with the people who enjoy it. If you sin and you have friends who sin, the only time people really like to talk about sin is when they're talking about how they're going to do it. But no one really likes to talk about how sin is a negative thing and it hurts us. What is sin? I think there's a lot of misconceptions about sin. I think a lot of times when it comes down to sin, we boil it to like a list. Like here's the list of things that God says I can't do. Here's the no list. And we think of it that way. I was just talking to my, a friend of mine about sin and we were talking about the concept of it. The term sin, the Hebrew word that they used for sin, it comes from archery class. It comes from back in the day, you had archers who would line up at trees and shoot at targets, and anytime they missed the mark, anytime they missed the bullseye, it was called a sin. It was a mistake where you missed the mark. And in the same way, sin is simply whenever we miss the mark of God's holiness, perfection, and love. And we do it all the time. Think about it, we do it all the time. Like you may think of a list of sins, but that grumpy attitude, that you had at your mom this morning. It's sin. That lie that you told yourself. It's sin. Uh, the time where you passed by somebody who was in need and instead of helping them, you went and you helped yourself. It's sin. It's missing the mark. And if you're like me, you're hearing this, and you're like, oh man, I'm sinning way more than I thought. <laughs> Anytime I miss the mark of God's perfection, I sin. That's, I, I thought I just had these list of 10 commandments and I was trying really hard not to do those and now you're telling me that I'm sinning all the time. Yeah, it's, it's true. We sin all the time. And you might be like, okay, why are you being so negative, Aaron? I'm not trying to be. I'm just trying to face a hard truth. And the hard truth is that sin killed Jesus. It was sin that nailed Christ to the cross. Christ died for our sins. And so my question to some of you this morning possibly could be, if Christ died for your sins, then why are you living for them? If Christ died for your sins, then why are you living for your sins? I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where even though I was trying to do good in some areas, there were certain sins I was living for, looking forward to the next time I could enjoy that sin. God's not out to kill our fun. We think of God as bossy with a list of rules. I had a friend named Andrew uh, in junior high. I went over to his house. He had this crazy list of rules. He was like, you can't touch that. You can't touch that. You can't do this. Like, he's like, don't touch my piano. Don't touch my DVDs. Don't touch my video games. Literally, it was the weirdest thing. I'm like in seventh grade. I'm at this dude's house. And he just, he made me sit on the ground in his bedroom and, and like fold my hands. And I was like, this is weird. Like, I don't know if we can be friends anymore. You were cool at school, but dude, you're a freak. <laughs> like, this is very strange. No one wants to come over your house uh, and for this you know it's not God being bossy it's not God with a list of rules here's what you can't do no God knows that sin is poison we talked about this on Wednesday night sin is poison it's not God saying here's my rules and here's what I like and here's what I don't like don't no sin is darkness God is light sin is fueled by our desires to please ourselves. And as humans with our corrupted sin nature, our sin leads us to hurt others and ourselves. Think about it. Think about the hurt that's been done to you in your life. Think about at your school, the hurt people cause one another. Turn on the news and look at the hurt that's happening all over the world. It's sin and it's poison. And it always starts small. It always starts with someone thinking, I'm just gonna do this because it makes me feel good. And then it leads to, now I have to step on other people, put other people down, cheat other people, trick other people, deceive other people, hurt other people to fuel my own lusts and passions. That's what sin does, and it's poisonous. And God loves you. He loves you. I'm gonna throw up a disturbing image, okay? Here it is. Who knows what that tattoo is? Swastika, okay? So consider this. This is a girl with a swastika tattoo. That's pretty gnarly. Who knows what the swastika represents? Anybody? The Nazis, the Third Reich. It represents the systematic killing and hatred of the Jews by the German people and Adolf Hitler. A man so given to his sin that he looked at the Jewish people and said, 
I will squash them, I will destroy them, I will put them down, I will kill them, I will murder them because that's what I want to do. I think that they're trash, I think that they're horrible, I think that my race is the superior race and I'm going to elevate the Aryan race and the Germans. And so to have that tattoo, it says a lot. You know, that girl maybe didn't even think of those things, but, but to walk around with that on your face, it's saying a lot. Now think of this, if this girl with the swastika tattoo, let's imagine that her parents are Jewish. And let's imagine that they went through the 40s as Jews who were hunted down, thrown into concentration camps by Hitler and killed. Does that make it even more disturbing that she would wear that tattoo? Does it? Yeah, it makes it very disturbing. This is my argument. And it's a hard argument, but I've got to make it. Sin is like the swastika. It represents everything God hates and everything he's been fighting. It represents everything that has killed his family. And for a Christian to live in sin, I'm not talking about struggling. Guys, I struggle, you struggle, we all struggle daily. We have sins and problems that we deal with. But to live in sin, to sin without repentance, to sin and just think, you know what, this is just a part of my life and I'm not gonna try to deal with it and I'm not gonna tell anyone what's going on, I'm just gonna sin and who cares? For a Christian to do that, especially out in the open where they're stumbling other people, it's like wearing a swastika tattoo on your face when your parents were Jews who died in the concentration camps. It's saying to God, I don't care that you hung on the cross for me, I just wanna do what I wanna do. It's hard. Guys, conviction is a good thing. If we are in a place where we have no conviction, and I've talked to friends of mine who had no conviction growing up, and there's times in my life where I was sinning and I had no conviction, because what, here's what happens. When you are living in sin, you do it to a point where in the beginning you're really convicted. You're like, oh, this is really bad. What I'm doing is really bad, I need to repent. But then the more you give in, and the more you give in, the more you give in, your spirit becomes dull to the point where you don't even care anymore. And it's, it's a terrible place to be when you're living without conviction. The true essence of sin is unbelief. Think about it. The true essence of sin is unbelief. In the garden, what starts sin? The snake comes up and says, listen, I know God has told you this, but I'm telling you this. And what causes Adam and Eve to take the fruit is their unbelief in God. The God who loved them and created them and gave them a garden, they said to God, you're not enough. I wanna try this now. This looks good, this looks seductive, this looks awesome, I wanna try this. The essence of sin is unbelief. It's exchanging truth for a lie. It's saying to God that you're not enough. We sing songs, we sing Christ is enough for me, but do we mean it? Are we singing Christ is enough for me, but I still feel like I need these drugs? Are we saying Christ is enough for me, but I don't wanna wait until I'm married for sex, I wanna enjoy that right now in some form? Do we sing Christ is enough for me, but then we just think I just really want freedom though, I just wanna be able to do what I want, so I'll go to church and put on a fake Christian face when really I'm struggling. Guys, our freedom from God, we think it's what we want, but freedom from God is the doorway to hell. It's what it is. And I wanna throw this out here. So it's very important, I feel like, to be in tune with the spirit convicting of sin. Because I can sit and look at someone who's doing drugs and I can say, hey, man, you need to stop that. Obviously, that's sin. But you know what? I was thinking about it the other day. Um, I was actually taught, I was, I was with an old buddy of mine, a guy I went to high school with. I was talking to him about that stuff. And he's like, dude, like, uh, you don't understand, man. You don't understand what I'm going through. Like, you don't understand the, the sin that grips me. And I was like, dude, you know what? I do too. This might sound weird, but bear with me. I sinned this morning. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, I did. I woke up in the morning, and I was hungry, 
And I went and I ate half a gallon of ice cream. And he's like, dude, how is that sin? And I was like, it is. I'm not taking care of my body. This is true. It's kind of embarrassing to admit. But like I had half a gallon of cookie dough ice cream. I was sitting there and I went for it. But I consider that sin because it's not taking care of my body. It's not caring about my future and my wife and my health. And it's gluttony. The Bible says like overeating, stuffing yourself, like it's gluttony. And so I was looking at this guy I was talking to. I was like, dude, like I'm just as much a sinner as you. And he's like, what are you talking about? That's ice cream. I'm like, dude, that's, that's a drug. <laughs> like cookie dough ice cream can be my drug. It can be what kills me. If I, if I eat a half a gallon of cookie dough ice cream every day, I'm gonna be dead in short time. And so when we turn to anything, sex, drugs, alcohol, food, friendships, relationships, when we turn to anything and try to fill that place in our life that belongs to God with things that don't, and we stuff ourselves with the things of the world, it leads to death. The next thing the Holy Spirit convicts of is righteousness. Look at verse 10. Jesus talks about righteousness. He says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. What does righteousness mean? When I think of righteousness, I think of, uh, it kind of seems redundant with the whole like, don't do sin thing. You know what I mean? Like, don't do sin and be righteous. Doesn't to be righteous just mean to be like right, to not do sin? Does anyone say the word righteous besides religious people and surfers anymore? You know, righteous, bro. We think about, when I think of righteous, I think of like, okay, I need to not do wrong. I think when we think of righteous, we need to focus more on what's the beginning root word of righteous. It's right. The Hebrew word for righteous is sedek, okay? The, the T is silent. Here's what it means. Righteousness is the standard of right relationship. It means doing right by someone else. This blew my mind when I was studying it. When I thought of righteousness, I just thought of like, okay, to be righteous, I keep all the rules and I do a good thing. It's so much deeper. Stay with me. The standard is being in a right relationship. So think of it this way. For a husband to be a righteous husband, he needs to do right by his wife. So what does that mean? He's faithful to her. He loves her. For a father, to be a righteous father, what does he have to do? He has to be with his kids. He has to be a righteous father. He has to be present. If they're young, read them bedtime stories, care for them, be with them, play with them. But then think of a businessman. Think of a businessman. How is he righteous to his employees? Is it the same way he's righteous to his kids? Does he, should he snuggle with his employees and read them bedtime stories? Should he? No, it's, so it's, but for him to be righteous to them, he has to fulfill whatever his relationship to him. So he has to be a good boss, you know, help him, love him, guide him as a boss. So righteousness is doing right by the relationship that you're in. So for you, how can you be a righteous son or daughter? By honoring your parents, even when it's hard. How can you be a righteous student? By not copying your friend's answers right before class you know, which is what I did a lot of the time, by turning in your homework on time, by not talking in class and respecting your teacher who works hard for you, which is hard to do. So back in the story, think of this, were the Jews righteous towards Jesus? Were they? No. Jesus loved them and died for them and came to them and they rejected him and they spit on him. Think about Jesus and the Old Testament Jews. Were they, was Jesus, were they righteous towards Jesus? No. All throughout the Old Testament, Jesus loved his people and reached out to them and they rejected him and sinned and sinned and turned away. Verse 10 is not talking about be righteous and be a good person. It's not talking about that. It's saying God wants to convict us when the relationship between us and him is broken. I want to ask you today, have we been righteous? What does that mean to do right by God? If we're in a relationship with God, what does it mean to do right by him? Because I don't know about you, but I fail. I sin. I mess up and I let him down, and you do too. Are we righteous towards God? Are we? Do we act in a righteous way towards him on a regular basis? Do you? I don't. I sin. 
But then the question turns around, and is God righteous towards us? Is he? Yeah, he's so righteous. He's so righteous. Because he considers himself our, his, our father and our king. And he looks at you and he says, I will forgive you. I will love you. I will take care of you. I will convict you when you sin. I will punish you like a loving father punishes a kid running into a fire. Think about it. We fear God's punishment a lot of the times. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I fear God's punishment. Like, what's God going to do to me? If a, if a good father sees a kid running into the fire, he doesn't pull that kid out and then like stick his hand in the fire and say, see how you like it. He doesn't say that. No, he might smack them. He might give them a little swat. He might ground them if they're older. He'll give them some form of punishment. But a good father doesn't just say, oh yeah, run into the fire, kid. A lot of times when we're punished by God, a lot of times when you're in sin, maybe you're in sin right now, and this message is like, maybe it sounds like police sirens coming towards you. And you're like, oh, this is convicting. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, God's coming for me. He's going to get me. Oh, as soon as I leave, he's going to strike me with, like, thunder and lightning. Listen, if this message sounds like sirens, you need to understand it's not police sirens coming to arrest you. It's an ambulance coming to take you to the doctor. That's what God does. If you're in sin, God wants to heal you of your sin. There's this great song by a guy named Josh White. He's one of my favorite pastors. Great guy. He wrote a song called Covered. He says, I have tried in great detail to earn your love, but always fail to find you. The love that I tried to earn was a gift that I soon learned was yours to give. So I lay myself down, took in your grace, and now I'm found inside you, covered by your love, covered by your blood, covered by your righteousness. I'm covered. I love this song because even in teaching this message, the Lord is just bringing my many failures to my mind. And it's easy to hear this and just feel like, man, I'm such a failure. But you need to understand, you are covered by the love and righteousness of God. God wants to partner with us, with the king. He wants to join with us. And so many times we're doing this, We're pulling away, we're sinning, we're saying, God, I want to be with you, but I also want to do these things. God's not like, all right, offers off the table. God is finding you in your sin and saying, hey, get back up, let's keep going. God is the God who covers us. And you need to know that if you are here today and you're in sin, if you have Jesus, you're covered. Paul Tripp, who looks like Commissioner Gordon from Batman, says this, if you obey for a thousand years, you're no more accepted than when you first believed. Your acceptance is based on Christ's righteousness, God's ability to do right by you, God's ability to keep the relationship going. And so to me, I want to stop saying, what can I get away with and still be accepted? And I wanna start saying, how can I be thankful and show my thankfulness for being accepted? Not just, okay, wait, is that a sin? Is that a sin? Do you ever find yourself asking that to people like, is that a sin? I'm not sure if that, can I do that? Can I still do that? We need to stop asking what can I get away with and start saying what can I give? What can I give back to God? What can I do for him? Not because doing things earns our salvation. It doesn't. We're already saved. So why not show that gratitude? I think God is the most taken for granted person in my life and yours. He's so taken for granted. He's done so much for us, and he deserves so much. And this wraps up for me in the story of Hosea. Have you guys ever heard the story of Hosea? Anybody? Yeah, Hosea is gnarly. Hosea was a biblical prophet. God, comes, God used to tell the Bible prophets to do crazy, insane things. God comes to Hosea and says, Hosea, I'm going to use your life as an illustration for Israel. Hosea says, that sounds great. What are you going to do? Are you going to like lift me up on a mountain and make me glow so people look at me and see your glory? And he says, no, I want you to marry a prostitute. That's in the Bible, straight up. He says, I want you to marry a prostitute. And Hosea's like, uh, really, Lord? That sounds weird. And God says, yeah, I want you to marry a prostitute. So Hosea marries this prostitute, and she cheats on him she's a prostitute. Like, she's married to him for a while, but then she gets hungry for the world. She goes out, and she starts sleeping with other men. 
Hosea finds out, and he's heartbroken because he's got kids now. He's got, I think, about, he had two or three small children at the time. And their mother is out sleeping around with other men. And it's just like the whole family's broken. She leaves, like she goes and she starts working for the brothels again with the pimps and all that stuff. Just, that, that's her life now. She leaves. She leaves home. She leaves her husband. She leaves her kids. And Hosea turns to God and he's like, what do you want me to do? And God says, I want you to go get her back. I want you to show her righteousness. Sedek, remember the Hebrew word. I want you to show her what it looks like to do right by someone else even when they've done wrong to you. And so Hosea goes, he finds his wife and he says, I love you, I want you back. And she's like, why would you want me back? I'm a prostitute. He says, no, I want you back. And she's like, what about all the things that I've done? Like, like, are you gonna make me try to work it off? Like, what am I gonna do? I can never earn your love and trust back. And he goes, you have it. Like, I don't care. Have my love, have my trust. Come back in my house, be a part of my family again. I love you. It's such, it's amazing, amazing story. God's righteousness is incredible. Like, we don't deserve that. That's that. The reason that God had Hosea do that was because he was painting a picture of Israel and of us. In the story, God's the husband and we're the prostitute. God's the one who loves us and we're the one who we wander and we go off in sin and we spend times and seasons of our life where we're just given to sin. And God could just say, you know what? I'll find someone better than you. But instead he says, I died for you and I want you back. I want you back. I want you back over and over and over again. He says, I want you back. Guys, if you're here today and you want to follow Jesus, pray for conviction of righteousness in your own life. Pray, say, God, convict me when I am unrighteous. Convict me when I am not holding up my end of the bargain. Forgive me and convict me when you are being the perfect, righteous father, king, friend. Just forgive me when I don't don't give that back to you, when I don't spend time with you, when I live in sin, when I don't care, when I'm apathetic, when I think just showing up on a Sunday or a Wednesday is what you really want from me instead of true worship. Pray for that conviction. It hurts, but it hurts so good. It's good. The last thing we'll talk about today is judgment. Scary word. Is anyone scared by the word judgment? Anybody? You hear the word judge, judgment, fire and brimstone. Yeah? You're like, this study has already been intense enough. And is it getting hot in here? Yeah, it's, it's heating up. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or just the thermostat. Okay, listen, this is, this is gonna be a good one to hear. Verse 11, he says, the Holy Spirit convicts of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus is talking about judgment in this instance, not in the sense of, hey, the Lord wants to convict you that judgment is coming and he's gonna rain fire down on your head. No, he's talking about judgment in the sense of you made a bad judgment call. Does that make sense? How many here, have, have you ever made a bad judgment call? For me, thinking eating half a gallon of ice cream at eight in the morning was a good thing. That was a bad judgment call. Jesus knows that he's being misjudged. The world is looking at him and saying, he is not true. He is not righteous. He claims to be God, but he's not. That's what's happening at this time. People are looking at Jesus and saying, he's a liar. We're gonna crucify him. We're gonna destroy him. And Jesus knows he's been misjudged. But I love this verse because it gives hope. He says, you know what? The Holy Spirit's gonna convict them that they made the wrong judgment. And... The ruler of this world, Satan, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, Hasatan, the enemy, he's already been judged. God says the battle has already been won. I love that. I love that Jesus can look at us because we live in a world right now. This is the problem, and it's not new. This problem's been going on since Genesis chapter 3. 
But we live in a world where every day all around you, when you turn on the TV, when you turn on the radio, when you turn on the internet, do you turn on the internet? No, it's just always on. When you go on the internet, when you turn to your friends, we are constantly living in a world where people are calling what is wrong right. We constantly live in a world where we're being presented with things that are wrong as saying, this is right, this is good, this is accepted, accept this, accept it, just accept it, just accept it, just accept it. That's what we hear, and after time, we start to accept it, and what was once something that we knew breaks God's heart, now we accept it into our own life, and we corrupt our life. And when we do that, we're like, it's a scene coming up when Jesus is standing there and there's a criminal, a murderer, a thief named Barabbas on the stage. And Jesus is the perfect Prince of Peace, Son of God. And Pilate says to the audience, who should die? Who should be killed? Who is guilty? And everyone says, give us Barabbas. Let him go free. Jesus needs to die. And we do that. When we look at what is right and we call it wrong, and when we look at what is wrong and call it right, we're saying, give us Barabbas. This is the, the last verse I want to look at, because I think it'd be good to end with this. Look at verse 12. Um, Jesus says, I have said many things to you, but you cannot bear them now. That's probably how you feel. This is too much, too much to bear. We'll end with this. Look at verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, but he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. When I read this verse, it, it reminded me of um, this song by a band called, most of you guys know, uh, Mumford and Sons, right? Classic early 2000s band. Um, I think they're pretty good, except sometimes they get a little rowdy, but for the most part, they're cool. But they have this one song, that I really like called Blank Page, Blank White Page. And they have this chorus. Um, the lead singer of the band, he's got some Christian roots and you see his faith come out in his song. So he says, lead me to the truth and I will follow you with my whole life. And then the part of the song that really gets me is har, 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 hardy har. Okay, but the, the like, Seriously, every time I've heard this song and it gets to that, lead me to the truth and I will follow you with my whole life. I'm like, that's so good. God comes to us. We have a world where lies are cheap and they're all around. People are lying to you constantly, telling you this is right, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is right, saying you're worthless unless you do this. You're worthless unless you wear this. You're worthless unless you look like this. You're worthless unless you sin this way. You're worthless unless you do this and follow the crowd. And God constantly is screaming truth at you. You are valuable because I love you and I was willing to die for you. You are worth everything to me and you don't need those sins to make you worthy. You just need me. And to me, that's the truth where I look at God and I say, Lord, lead me to the truth and I will follow you with my whole life. If you're here today and you feel like God has spoken truth to you, just commit to him. Say, I will follow you. Even if you're already saved, I, make, I, I, I have to recommit myself all the time as a pastor. I have to sit down on a regular basis and say, God, I've lost sight of you. I've lost sight of, you're, you're the lighthouse in my storm and I've looked at other things and I've lost my focus. God, lead me to the truth and I will follow you my whole life. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for your word. It's convicting, it's hard. Sin is not something we wanna talk about. But God, we need to because we're, we're sinners. And God, it's so easy for us to just go on sinning even though your love and forgiveness will never run out, God, we take advantage of you. We sin and we blow it. We miss the mark. We break righteousness. We, we break sedek. We break relationship. We break covenant. And God, you still love us. You still chase after us. You're still with us after all of that. God, I'm sorry for taking advantage of your kindness and your love. Thank you, God, for leading us to the truth today. God, I just ask that you would help us to follow you 
with our whole lives. Just if everyone keeps their eyes closed, just please keep your eyes closed. I just want to ask, is there anyone here today who would want to pray with me to just admit that you've strayed off the path a bit, to admit to the Lord that you have slipped into some things that you haven't or that you shouldn't have and that you need to get back on the path. If you're here today and if you feel convicted by something and you feel like it's a good thing, you know it's a good thing, and you wanna tap into that and you wanna submit to the Lord and say, God, I wanna turn from my sin and follow you. If that's, if that's you, just raise your hand really quick and we'll, we'll pray together. Awesome, anybody? Anybody else? Good, good, okay. You can all put your hands down. Just pray with me. Just in your hearts, repeat after me. Lord, we're, we're sorry. We're sorry, Lord, that we've sinned. And we're sorry, most of all, that we've taken advantage of you. Help us, Lord, to be committed to righteousness. Thank you, God, that you don't call us to be perfect because we can't. But Lord, thank you that you allow us to follow you. You're perfect, Jesus, thank you. God, help us to be more like you. Lord, help us to turn from the sins that we're dealing with today. Help us to find help. Help us to overcome our obstacles. We need you. Thank you for forgiving us, Jesus, and help us to go forward today, a new creation this morning. Thank you for loving us and forgiving us and dying for us. We love you in your name. Amen. Amen. Happy Sunday. See you later.